from the Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. That was the best one and a half minute break of all time. Uh, um, but I am continuing a series on joy. I, I called this message uh, Joy Part Do. Do you guys, anyone remember the movie uh, Hot Shots? Hot Shots Part Do? Thank you. That's where I was inspired by that really bad movie. So, um, But this message, last week I talked about joy. And my buddy Charlie, who I didn't know, um, listens to the podcast he texted me, he's like, hey, that was a really good message. I said, I didn't know you even, he's like, oh, I've been listening forever. So it's Charlie endorsed. And I got done, and I thought there's more I want to talk about it. Because we talked about joy of the Lord is our strength from Nehemiah, and how that is like a nice little statement, and it makes you feel good, but what does it actually mean? And we talked on how joy is more than just uh, an emotion. It's more than just happiness. It can transcend, and it can ebb and flow with all of the things that we feel. And joy takes work. It is not by accident. It takes a lot of work to move. I use joy or divine love. To move in the divine love, um, you have to be intentional. It's on purpose and with purpose. And so um, what I want to talk about, though, is how if, if you ever walked into, like, an organization or, like, a business or, I don't know, maybe this weird thing called a church and where you felt that joy, that it felt you could tell right away that this is a place that's different. When you walk into a home where they experience joy and it's a part of their normal rhythm, it's intoxicating. It feels really good. I still remember walking into um, Duluth Coffee Company. Any Duluth Coffee Company fans out there? Yeah, go there. I give them a lot of my money. Um, And uh, Eric, who is the owner, um, I asked him, like, hey, how did this whole thing happen? And he um, shared his, we've actually brought our um, leadership team um, when they shut down, and he shared his whole story. He, and he said, everything that we've done has been curated. Everything here has been on purpose. And talked about how they hire, how they run their company. And he's like, you kind of run our co- company like the mafia. I'm like, that's a business model that seems has worked for some and not for others, right? And the color and how, why they charge an absorbent amount of money for their coffee, right? Because it is expensive is because they want to pay the farmers, not just a living wage. They want to pay them really, really well. And they're trying to do like a, a, a different kind of business model of what they're doing. And I, the, even the way that they hire and the way they train their staff makes me feel noticed, makes me feel welcome. Because they, they're not like, hey, let's just open a coffee shop and be cool. Like, teenagers are the best at knowing when someone's not cool, right? When people are trying to be cool, like, like if you walked in your classroom, like, hey, kids, I'm a cool teacher. They're like, no, you're not. Leave. <laughs> Just, we're done with this, right? But if you are being your authentic self, if you're being honest, right, and the fullness of who you are is not a threat, that creates a culture of joy or divine love. And that is an incredibly hard thing to do. It takes a lot of intention, uh, intentionality. But there's like... There's like in the Bible, there's this group called the early church, right? And we call them the early church because they're one of the first, right? In the book of Acts. And um, they really believed in this idea, this crazy notion of when Jesus says to love your neighbor as you love yourself, like they took that literally. 
where they would say, if, um, if I was hungry, I guess I'd want someone to feed me. Oh, so maybe if there's other hungry people, maybe we should love them as we might love ourselves. So when one person was hungry, they're all hungry. When one person was grieving, they're all grieving. When someone was hurt, they all hurt. And they took this to the fullest extent of what they were famous for, what kind of got them on the map historically was there was this plague. And there was two groups of people. There was people who were like anti-plague. They're like, hey, if we had a vote for the plague, and there was two boxes, yes or no, they would check, no, no plague, boo plague, right? They'd hold up signs that say, we don't like plagues. And there was other people that had the plague, and they were probably anti-plague as well, but they already had it. And the whole idea of being anti-plague is that you just weren't around the plague, because if you're around the plague, then you might convert, be a, convert over to the plague. And what these Christians, these weird group of people called Christians did, is they showed up because they thought, if I'm going to love my neighbors and love myself, my neighbor needs health care. My neighbor is sick. My neighbor needs someone to hold their hand. My neighbor needs someone to cry with, needs someone to help feed them. And so they showed up in the middle of a plague and because that's what love does. And there's this group called the disciples. And Jesus picked out these, these 12 people, and he said, hey, I'm going to teach you how to do some things, and we're going to actually, like, I don't know, transform the world. And these group of people um, weren't, like, great in the sense of if you were, like, an intern at some corporation, even if you just watched a show about interning or, like, entry-level management or entry-level positions, um, you would have an expectation of how to do your job. These disciples were really bad interns, right? They should have been fired, like, four days in the job. Jesus saying, yeah, this ain't going to work, Right? Because they would be like, hey, you know what would be a great idea, Jesus? Why don't we, like, start flexing? Let's use our power, right? You're talking about this kingdom of God, big fans. Why don't we go do it, and we can do it by force? And Jesus would literally say, that's never going to happen, Peter. Just, just no, it's not going to happen. He's like, Jesus, I hear you, but let me pitch you on an idea about using violence again, right? Over and over and over, they hear Jesus, they're inspired by Jesus, they're moved by Jesus, and then somehow they... Form it back to like this egocentric, what can I get out of this? How do I get more and more power? And then also, they're, they're listening to Jesus, and they see Jesus do some incredibly awkward, weird things. There's this one part where Jesus got all, like, hundreds of new followers, and they're, they're listening to Jesus, they're following Jesus, and Jesus turns around and says, hey, everybody, at some point, we should maybe, I don't know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This is what he says. And everyone kind of looks around at each other and says, uh, Jesus, uh, come again? One more time? <laughs> for, for those of us in the back. And they all leave, and Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, you're still going to stick around? And they say famously, where else would we go? Right? What causes this, 12, this, this group of people to stick around? What causes Jesus to continue to believe in these 12 people? Why in the world would these early church people go into a plague where they're risking their own life? Because if you've ever experienced transformational love, if you've ever experienced that divine love, if you've been around people, it's contagious, right? Like when you get to the point where you actually maybe even believe, right? Because there's some stuff in the Bible that's like, I don't know about that. But, but when you experience the presence of God, when you experience people who, who call themselves Christians and they're actually like really good people and they're doing some amazing work, there's something, that's, at least for me, there's something inside of me that's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what it's about. And to, like, continue to move in the way of God is a lot of work. They, they, they stick around because they believe in it. 
They stick around because they see that it actually works. When you choose love over fear, when you choose to include instead of exclude, you don't get rich for doing that, but you can see that there's this transaction of that divine love that inspires you to what? Keep going. And this is why we do church, is to inspire each other of, like, the work, Tony, that you do, it matters. The way in your job, the way raising your kids, the way we spend our money, the way we show up, it matters. And so how do we, this crazy idea, how do we, um, not just as a church, because um, pastors are really good at trying to sell, like, the church experience being the highest experience, right? Uh, The church experience being the best thing in the entire world. I'm a big fan of church, right? But these principles aren't just applied just to church. You can take these principles and apply them to your marriage. You can apply it to your classroom. You can apply it to your business. You can apply it to a circle of friends of how do we move in a place of joy corporately? How can we together as a community of people move in a place of joy? Imagine this. I have three things because every message I give always has three things, (laughs) right? The first one is this, is if you want to uh, move in a place of joy, right, you have to know where you want to end up. Where do you want to be? The times in my life that have, where I felt like my wheels have been spinning, anyone been there before? You're just like, what am I doing? Like, there's, there's like a lot of people that it feels like they exist just to say like, oh, I get through this work week, hit the, week, hit the weekend, next week's going to be better. And they do that over and over and over again. Times where I feel the most aimless, imagine this, is when I'm literally aimless of why do I exist? What am I trying to do? Am I just trying to survive my life? Um, And I found that, like, um, maybe, like, circles of friends or maybe a couple or maybe uh, in your job and especially, sadly, even in churches, what's the end goal? Like, if I asked you, like, uh, with your group of friends, where do you want to be in one year in your friendships? which might be an awkward conversation. Like, you get together, like, hey, guys, come over, we're going to have some drinks, and we're going to strategize. Where do we want to end up in one year? But I would ask, why not, right? What is it that you want to experience in your friendship? My professor, who had to steal it from someone else, I've just not seen who it's quoted from, used to say, if you aim for nothing, you hit it every time, right? You have, if you want to grow, if you want to cultivate joy, if you want to move in this divine love, you have to do it on purpose, um, one practical way um, that Nikki and I have um, practiced this is that um, we famously went to one concert, and we were on a date, and uh, you already know where I'm going with this, don't you? Yeah. Um, and I walked into the concert, and it was really, really fun. And then I saw my buddy Nick, and he was in the back sitting by himself. So I got up from our date and decided to have a date with Nick instead of my wife. And I sat back and hung out with Nick, and we laughed. It was super fun. And we got done. And Nikki says, I thought we were on a date. I'm like, yeah, we are. We're in the same room. Hello? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, but I just thought it was fine that we were on a date. And I, my buddy was sitting by himself, so I went to hang out with him. And it led to um, a discussion later on. And so <laughs> what, what we've done since then, which has been really, really good, before we walk into a party, before we walk into an event, we'll say, today, how can I show you love? At this party, how can I best support you? And it has led to some really, really, really great experiences of um, communicating. And I, of course, I want to show love to my wife, but I can do it on purpose. But if we're not willing to have that conversation of, like, tonight, how can I show you love? In one year, where do we want to be as a family? In three years, where do we want to be as friends? Um, 
because we, we, we only get one shot at this, and I'm done just tolerating life. I want to experience divine love. I want to experience this joy everywhere I go. And we've had to do this with our friends. Uh, we've had it in a very positive way of saying, hey, it seems like we've evolved. It seems like we've been fr- we're friends. We're still friends with these people. It was like 15 years of being friends. And, of course, we've evolved. Our friendships evolved because we've all changed. And we had to have a, a, a good conversation of, like, what is it that we're committing to? What is it that we want to be? We've also had to do that, sadly, of where the friendship ended, right? Of clearly, and it was, it was when we became Neighborhood Church. And we said, hey, big fan of the LGBT community. And they were like, we're not. And we're like, I don't know how this is going to work. But we had to get clear, right? And it was sad, but it's, it's clear, so we're not holding each other to these expectations that we're never going to meet. If you don't know where you're going, how are you going to get there? So I encourage you, get clear of what it is that you want. Second one is this, and this is my favorite one, um, is be open to new ideas. Have an open mindset. Um, it, in my late 20s, I had this um, epiphany of that not everyone thinks like me. <laughs> Up until that point, like, I just assumed everybody has, like, a wheel in their head that's always spinning, right? I didn't have the word anxiety, right? Or just Everyone's just always thinking. Like, everyone's on the hustle. I thought everyone, like, believed like me. I thought everyone politically thought like me. I thought we all thought about money the same way. And in our circle of friends, we, we all parented the same way. And all of a sudden, our friends are like, like oh, you're going to do that? That's an option? I didn't, I didn't know we could do that. Oh, you're going to, like, you, you vote differently than I do? That, and it felt like a threat, right? You've been there before? Or all of a sudden, you, you, you become aware, and you're like, oh, what I thought you were over here, you're actually over here? And if you're in this closed system where we all have to agree, we all have to think, we all have to process in the same way, when someone's different, it does feel threatening. I, um, I was investigating a seminary. Did I tell you guys I'm in seminary? No big deal. So... Um, and I uh, went to United, uh, to UCC, United Church of Christ. And it is a wildly progressive um, seminary, and, I, and I'm, that's where I'm currently at, and I love it. But when I was visiting there, this guy named Mason is taking me the tour, and they're interreligious, uh, not just interfaith, they're interreligious. And so in their chapel, they have symbols for Buddhism and uh, Hinduism and Baha'i, and then he's like, oh, yeah, and then uh, we have several um, Wiccans that um, attend our seminary. And me, being the most ignorant middle-aged white man in the entire world, said, the world needs my opinion. So I, um, I, I said, ignorantly, I said, wait, 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 did you say Wiccan? Why would a Wiccan want to come to a Christian seminary? Didn't say it about Buddhism or anything else, right, because I'm familiar with that. And Wiccan I was not as familiar with. And uh, Mason looked at me. He goes, that's a good question. Hey, Sarah, come on over here. And I instantly lost 10 pounds of sweating in a second, right? My face turned white. And I, I all of a sudden realized my bias, right, and my ignorance. And Sarah comes over. Sarah's probably 20 years older than me. And she's like, oh, hi, Mason. He's like, this is Chris. Sarah, Chris is wondering why in the world would a Wiccan want to come to this seminary that's a Christian one? And Sarah, you're Wiccan. Oh, yes, I am Wiccan. I'm like, oh, here we go. And what I was anticipating, right, was hate or fear or um, violence in words because I felt like that's what I deserved, right? I felt like that's what I deserved. And she said, 
Chris, what a great question. Isn't it wonderful that we can come um, at the divine from different places and we can all learn from one another? Isn't that so amazing? And I'm like, uh, this is where I'm going to school. This is where I want to be, right? Because if you decide of where you want to go and you think, well, it can only look like this, then you're missing the plot. If you're willing to be open-minded, if you're willing to learn from other people, if you're willing to be inspired from people, like I am not Wiccan, right? I have a huge appreciation for people in that faith. I'm in the Christian stream, and I love it. But I can be mindful, and I can be inspired, and I can be encouraged, and I can learn from people with different life experiences for me. One way to think about this is um, in a mathematical, um, what do you call it? It's a mathematical theory, right? And if you are actually really into math, you can come and prove me wrong. You say, Chris, actually, you got it wrong, and I will, I'll gladly. I learned it from a non-math person, so I want to be mindful. But it helps my point, so that's all that matters. Let's say this rug right here, if, you're not, if you can't see it, there's a red rug on the floor. This rug has been with us since we planted the church, and so I have a little bit of a, um, I have a little bit of meaning with this rug. And let's say this rug is God, and she is beautiful, and she is wonderful, right? It's in the center, kind of in the center of this room. And if you wanted access to this God, and you said, oh, I would love to connect with her, I would then, one way, I would put a boundary, put a line all the way around the rug. And I would say, if you want access to this God, um, you have to cross this line. And once you cross this line, you move from um, them to us. And to cross that line might mean you have to say a prayer. It might mean you have to get baptized. Different religions have different ways of accessing. But we put a lot of energy of going to the people outside the line to convert them or evangelize them or whatever word you would like to use. But there's, there's a clear boundary that everyone inside can know who's going to heaven and who's not, right? And it's actually kind of helpful. If you believe in that system and you know who all the bad people are, you can move the world very confidently. You can be very certain. But there's also a problem because a lot of energy goes just not going to convert you into my way of thinking. There's also a lot of energy where you stand on the boundary to keep people in, right? And you use that through shame. You can use that through beauty. There's a lot of different ways you can, but the energy is us versus them. I had a friend um, who was visiting uh, another church, and he texted me, and he said, the pastor just said, hey, you know what, it's okay to become friends with non-Christians, right? And, um, and then he used a lot of us versus them language, which we actively don't because we, well, I don't believe that. I think there's no us versus them, it's just us. And I laughed and I told Nikki, I'm like, yeah, that's never been one of my questions of like, hey, you want to be my friend? Wait, 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 are you a Christian? <laughs> right? But that, that way of thinking is a, a, a strategy of saying, well, I'm going to become friends with a non-Christian because they're on the outside of this line. And if I befriend them, well, maybe I can convince them to come on in the line, right? And that's a, a very dominant way of thinking about God. But what if this rug on the floor is God, and she is wonderful, and she is beautiful, and what if there is no line? It's called centered set. Bounded set, centered set. Centered set is everything is that this God is here, and no matter where you are at, right, if you're across the street or you're as close to the circle as possible, all of it still belongs. And our energy is not helping people, like, cross some line or believe something. It's really, are you, are you pointed towards the center? Are you moving towards the divine, right? And I believe that God is in all things, right? 
But to have an idea, a theological framework of there is no boundary, and what we're trying to do is help people move towards God. And if there's like an arrow, and I think there's hundreds of arrows, and we're just trying to help that arrow slowly move towards the center. doesn't matter then all of a sudden you're right next or not. If your arrow is drifting away from God for whatever reason, right, part of what I want to do is help that arrow move back towards God. So in your journey of trying to have this corporate or communal sense of joy, you have to get clear of what it is that you really want, right? And then you have to be open-minded to what... Uh, other people are on your path that are around you. And lastly is this. We have to just, like, keep talking, right? And this is, like, the most obvious point, but I needed a third point to finish the message. So, but um, we have to ask better questions. So often um, in organizations or in especially in churches, and I would even say here, sometimes we can ask boring questions, right? Questions I'm done with. Like, questions I'm done with is, is like, um, uh, well, what do you really believe, right? Uh, um, was Jonah real, right? Are, are you going to heaven? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with those questions, right? The, the questions that help cultivate that sense of joy, that sense of divine love, is questions like this. What is it that you love? That's a beautiful question. That's a, that's a question that can include people. That's a question that keeps you moving, right? I asked this question. I was a youth pastor for a very long time. Um, and I was a really good youth pastor, right, because I love chaos, and kids love chaos, so it worked out well, but I'll bump into students um, around town, and uh, I'll ask them this question, are you happy, right? That's a question that moves from a yes or a no to if they say, well, yeah, I am happy, then I say, um, well, what, what, what is making you happy? What is that you're learning right now? What, what things have you learned? And it starts this dialogue of me actually being interested in people, me actually believing people, me actually loving people. So the more, the, the more questions that we ask that cultivate and remind and inspire that divine love, we can actually, whatever it is that we're aiming for, we can get there. And if we're willing to believe and love and include people and ask those questions, we can get there together. And let me say, I love being the pastor of this church. I love this community because... I feel this when I show up. I feel included. I feel believed. I feel inspired. And my goal, my dream, if you're going to ask me, oh, Chris, where do we want to be as a neighborhood church in three years? Honestly, my dream is that we can have five or six neighborhood churches all around the Twin Ports. Uh, Even if Nate and Olivia Gaynor, they lead a church, a home church down in Iowa, right? And it's beautiful. I love it. What if we could have multiple expressions of neighborhood? Because I really do believe in the power of not just neighborhood church, but neighborhoods. That if we had a space where 30 to 50 people could meet, where babies can come and tell us all they want to say, right? And where Yuli can wear stickers on his mouth and run around during church. Isn't that what church should be? Is people, regardless of how old they are, get to be their fullest selves, and that's never a threat? That's where I want. I want to have a place of where that joy that is infectious, that can spread like wildfire all around the Twin Ports. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to enjoy the rest of our Sunday. Please join me. So God, I thank you um, that we have this full access to this divine love. I thank you that we get to experience it when we get to see our sister, our friend, or our brother. And it's in the space between us as we move in the way of Christ, as we do the ways of Christ, 
that that love and that joy is cultivated. And I pray that we can continue in our circles of friends, in our work, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, that we can be inspired and move in that divine love. In the same way that the early church really believed that if my neighbor hurts, we hurt. And that we can, we can see the needs of the places in our neighborhoods. We can see the places of where may, maybe some joy is needed. And instead of waiting for someone else, that we can be that energy. We can be that love. And I pray for my friends that are here. I pray for my friends that are listening or watching online who maybe are, are not in that place of divine love <laughs> where they actually feel like maybe other people that are different than them or think different than them feels threatening. I pray for wisdom. I pray for love and I pray for inclusion. So God, use us and we love you. Amen. All right. Well, thank you everyone for coming. Were you going to clap, Dad? I think my dad was going to start clapping. <laughs> All right. Thank you.